Hello, and welcome to another episode of EdChoice Chats. My name is Mike McShane, and I'm Director of National Research at EdChoice. Today's podcast is part of a new series we're embarking upon called Cool Schools, wherein we will profile passionate educators around the country and the schools that they lead. This podcast series has two goals. Uh, The first is simply celebration. Starting a new school or running a great existing school is hard work. Too often, it's a thankless job. So we want to celebrate people who are trying something new and different and kick the tires on their ventures to uncover lessons that they've learned and can share with other educators around the country. The second goal is to try and stretch folks' mind about what is possible in education. As educational choice supporters, we at EdChoice spend a healthy amount of our time trying to promote educational options that don't exist yet. We push for states to pass laws that create the conditions for great new schools to open and scale, but many people struggle to wrap their minds around exactly what that might look like. In this podcast, we're going to highlight some of those potentialities. With quality school choice programs, innovative models like the ones we talk about here could be coming to a city near you. You know, at the outset, I would like to say that uh, we're not going to try and use this podcast to adjudicate whether or not these are quote-unquote good or bad schools. We're not going to examine their reading and math scores and ask them why their fourth graders aren't up to snuff. We are going to ask about mistakes that they've made, lessons they've learned, advice that they would give, and related questions that should be helpful for anyone listening, even if you're skeptical of their educational model or pedagogical strategy. As always, if you'd like to find out more about EdChoice, please sign up on our website for EdChoice emails. Uh, Once you sign up, you can watch your inbox and flesh out your profile with your mailing address if you want print copies of our reports mailed straight to your doorstep. You can also follow our blog, subscribe to this podcast, which we would really appreciate. Um, We don't just profile cool schools. We also interview the authors of groundbreaking research, describe education reform efforts around the country, and talk about the fun stuff that we're up to here. Uh, You can also tweet us. uh, It's at EdChoice. You can also feel free to tweet me personally if you want to let your thoughts be known. I'm at MQ underscore McShane. Uh, I'm always on the lookout for more cool schools to profile, so if you know of one of those in your neck of the woods, please let me know about it. So on the podcast today, we have Kathleen Porter-McGee, Superintendent and Chief Academic Officer of the Partnership for Inner City Education. Uh, The Partnership is a nonprofit school management organization that oversees a network of six inner city Catholic schools in Harlem and the Bronx in New York City. So, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us on the Cool Schools podcast today. Um, you know, it's probably best to just start at the beginning. So can you talk about the origins of the partnership schools in New York City? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, so the partnership has actually existed in some form for about two decades But for the vast majority of its time, um, it it essentially provided philanthropic support to urban Catholic schools in Harlem and the South Bronx. And so it would raise money in in terms of an endowment for scholarship support for disadvantaged students to be able to go to Catholic schools in New York. Um, And then also had a patrons program where where it would connect benefactors with Catholic schools that were struggling and needed some additional support. And so that existed for a long time. And then about a little over five years ago, the board of the partnership came together 
and said, you know, I can't believe there isn't something that we could do differently to maybe support these schools even more and maybe in, in a way that's even more impactful than what we're doing right now. And so they worked with the Archdiocese of New York to negotiate a services agreement. And so the best way to think about the way we're structured is that the Archdiocese is kind of effectively our authorizer and we are the operator of, of six Catholic schools, three in Harlem and three in the South Bronx. And so they negotiated that deal with the with the diocese, which at its time was was groundbreaking. And that was just a little bit over five years ago. We just started our fifth year as a school management organization and we are in charge of everything. We're financially responsible for the six schools. We're in charge of making sure that they are fully staffed up to make sure they are they are compliant, that they're organizationally effective and efficient, and that they're academically excellent. And so now, about how many students are served in these six schools? 2,100, just about 2,100 students. And is that growing? I mean, when you when you first took over five years ago, was that, were there fewer students, more? How's that trend looked over time? Yeah, so we, I'm trying to remember off five years ago, it has been Feels um, like a lifetime stabilized. ago. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, it has been stabilized and increasing. So we are, we still think there's more we could do. A couple of our schools have wait lists and are very, very close to capacity. A couple are a little bit further away. Um, but we're, we're, we're thriving when it comes to enrollment for the most part. Our schools are, are doing well and attracting, even in one of the most competitive, uh, in some of the most competitive neighborhoods in the country. I mean, our we exist in Harlem where there is um, tons of competition from charter schools and some very, very high quality charter schools. So we're pleased to see first the stabilization of our enrollment and some of that actually going up and increasing as well. So now how did they rope you into this endeavor? So actually a mutual friend of ours connected us. Um, so I was uh, doing something completely different at the time. and. A friend said, you know, there's a group that is um, becoming a school management organization and running Catholic schools in New York, and um, would you be willing to advise them? And long story short, advising turned into working with them because I was so excited about the work that we're doing. And I actually, I mean, I grew up in the Archdiocese of New York. And in fact, my mom, uh, she grew up in, both my parents grew up in the Bronx. My mom grew up in the projects in the South Bronx, and she's actually an alum of one of these six schools. So it just kind of felt like an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Oh, that's wonderful. So, so maybe th- could you tell me a little bit about these schools, like the, the history of them? Are these kind of those Catholic schools that have been around for 150 years? Are some, are some newer? What's, what, 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 what are they like? Yeah, our newest school was built in the 60s. So um, <laughs> they are, yeah, we have um, one of our six schools, Immaculate Conception, which is actually my mom's alma mater, was uh, founded in 1854. Four of our six schools were founded more than 100 years ago. The younger schools were still pretty close to 100 years ago. So these are um, six amazing Catholic schools in New York that have been around for generations. I mean, those first ones, like Immaculate Conception, were built in, you know, at sort of the outset or the founding of the American system of Catholic schools in the day of, you know, Dagger John, who was the, the first archbishop um, here, here in New York. So we've got some pretty rich history and some deep community roots here. Well, that's so I was going to ask you about that. So I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up talking about the kind of community roots of these schools. Because look, so I, I'll say perhaps for, for a bias that our own podcast here might have when we're talking about cool schools or new educational options is sort of a bias towards the new. Hey, look at this cool new thing that that folks are doing. And, and while I would argue, and we can maybe chat a little bit more, that 
the 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 angle that you all are taking about a Catholic school management organization is new. Uh, the schools themselves are actually quite old. So I'd be sort of interested, like how you navigate, how you think about doing something new and innovative within organizations and institutions. I mean, the, the particular schools are, you know, 150 years older or older, and the, the broader organization of the Diocese of New York or the Catholic Church is substantially older than that. So, like, how do you think through that tension of doing something new in such a longstanding organization or institution? Yeah, so we joke that we're a 100-year-old startup, actually, um, <laughs> which I think is actually the, an apt way to describe us. Um, it's actually been an amazing gift um, to be able to come in and do turnaround work, which I think is really important in, in many urban Catholic, center, urban Catholic schools around, around the country, um, and necessary. And it's been amazing to do it in schools and in communities where there are teachers and school leaders who are so deeply invested in the communities and deeply rooted. And we have learned so much from our veteran um, principals and our veteran, t- our veteran teachers about how to drive fairly urgent change um, in in places that have such a longstanding and rich tradition. And that, we joke actually that we are turnaround schools, but not turnover. And I know in the, in the public school world, turnaround usually does mean turnover. In fact, I think for things like the school improvement grant, you actually have to turn over 50% of your, yeah. of your staff in order to, to get the grant. And we've had the opposite experience where we've been able to, to leverage the, the best that is, that is in our schools and drive change um, with them. And it has been an amazing learning experience for me. Previously, while I had taught in Catholic schools, I'd also worked in, in charter schools, which was amazing, and I learned a lot there. But this is, a, as to your point, a very, very different animal. Um, and there is, actually, there is just so much um, that teachers and leaders who have been serving their communities for decades um, can, can really contribute to the reform conversation more broadly. I mean, I, I, you know, one of our schools, which is, is really thriving right now, the principal just started her 45th year in the same school. Um, and, you know, she, she jokes that she was not even joke that she was here when the Bronx was burning and she's seen it all. And that kind of unflappable leadership has been really critical to our success. And for me personally, I think what it's meant is that we've been able to bring in some changes to curriculum and some changes to instruction. And we've been able to really focus on that at the network level because we knew that our school leaders had seen it all before us. So the daily trials and tribulations of school leadership were not distracting to them. They really felt comfortable and confident in those areas and were able to turn their attention to curriculum and instruction in a way that was really powerful. Well, so this is really interesting, and I think maybe has broader implications sort of outside of private schooling or, or, or Catholic schooling. But it sounds to me like something that you're sort of highlighting here is a blind spot that a lot of education reform efforts have, which is, uh, in my perception, and feel free to uh, feel free to disagree with me, is there is a <laughs> there is a bias towards the new and the young and the oh, these schools are full of these folks who are stuck in their ways. We need fresh blood or we need new and different people to come in and shake all this stuff up. Sort of what you brought up about school turnarounds. It's like the only way to do this is to fire 51% of the people and the principal. 
has your experience sort of tempered your views on that? Do you think that that's – is that foolhardy? Is that wise? Like how has what you've done changed your opinion or, or, or influenced your opinion on that? I think what it's probably done is is made me far more cautious. I would say that by policy saying you have to fire 50 to 51 percent of – of your faculty and staff in a, in a turnaround situation is foolish because how could you possibly know every situation, right? And so I think one of the things that I've learned, because I'm sure there are plenty of examples that look very different from my six schools where maybe you do actually have to turn over um, a large number of, of recalcitrant, recalcitrant staff in order to drive change. That was not my experience, but I can imagine it may be some people's experience. So I don't want to, just like I wouldn't want somebody to extrapolate too much from the experience of needing to turn over 51%, I also don't want to draw too many conclusions from my experience of not having to. Um, but I think maybe that's the right lesson, is to say, the, you can have some guiding principles and you can have some indicators that you should look at and you should be you should be attentive to. But by policy, you shouldn't be saying you must hit this quota or this benchmark because it really is a case by case. It, it really is a case by case basis. The other thing that's slightly different about um, at least the six schools that, that I now serve, and I think probably urban Catholic schools more broadly, is that we've been playing a different game for the past 20 years. So if you think about the origins of the school reform movement, while it was grounded in a lot of lessons from Catholic schools, the past 20 years has really been a story of public school change and charter schools in particular. And on the Catholic school side, many of the schools, many of the leaders, many of the teachers have, have sort of sat out the conversation um, for lots of reasons. One, that we were struggling um, for resources and couldn't necessarily afford some of the changes that were happening elsewhere. But I think there's an amazing benefit to the fact that we were able to, to, to sit out, observe, and watch. And now we don't have to make some of the same mistakes that were made over the past 20 years. Instead, we can learn from them and say, okay, now the moment is right. We can draw from your lessons and from the changes you've made, import the best of the changes you've made, but in the context of our schools and communities. So I think that's one thing that's been very different. And so, for example, in our schools, we didn't, we didn't find teachers and leaders who were weary of, of change, um, who had just seen kind of the, the spinning wheels of reform. Instead, we found teachers and leaders who were hungry for additional support, and they were hungry for additional resources. And so that hunger has really been a lot of what's driven change in our schools. That's great. That's a really interesting point. So I imagine, though, it hasn't been all uh, champagne uh, <laughs> and roses. I imagine you had to overcome some hurdles. So what are maybe if you could identify two or three of the hardest things that you've had to overcome in this process? So I think one of them was um, skepticism. I think when I came on board, well, I I was educated kindergarten through college in Catholic schools, and I got my start as a Catholic school teacher and then an urban Catholic school teacher. And so I have felt a, a particular devotion to Catholic schools. Um, because I had spent so much time in the world of reform and, and some time in charter schools, I think uh, there was a lot of skepticism that I was going to come in and try to charterize our six schools or that, that we at the partnership didn't understand um, what made Catholic schools really great and what's led to the 
um, you know, generational change that we've really seen in urban or in urban centers that are served by Catholic churches and Catholic schools in particular. Um, and so I think there was a lot of skepticism. And I think we really had to build trust among the, the communities, the teachers, the principals, and the parents in order to um, to help them see that we were trying to unlock the potential that was there and not actually fundamentally change what was great about them already. So I would say that was one of the biggest obstacles that we had to, uh, that we met in our first year, especially. So I would be interested uh, to know, you know, if you look back on that first year, that first six months that you were there, um, you know, a lot of folks that we hope are listening to this podcast are, are educators or might be interested in, in, you know, in either starting new schools or, or, or somehow getting involved at that. You know, from someone who has some experience in this, I would love to know one mistake that you made. Is there a mistake you made in the first, you know, six months or a year that other people could learn from or that you learned from yourself, but that other people oh. could learn from? That is the million dollar question. I made way more than one mistake, I'm sure. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, um, I'm just, I'm just going to make you, you say do. one. You're just going to have to <laughs> yeah, say exactly. one. exactly. You should probably go ask my principals and say, what was the one mistake that she made that if you had to do it all over again, you'd ask her not to do? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think it was probably a series of, of, of small mistakes and lessons. Thankfully, one of the benefits of, of working in the Catholic school sector is that um, – our, our communities are very forgiving places. And so it really is, it, it, we really are able to exist in a culture that is um, very open and very candid. I joke, I mean, I was, I was raised by feisty Bronx women, uh, <laughs> men and women, and now I work among feisty Bronx men and women and they are, they are candid and they are loyal and they are hardworking and they are not shy to tell you when you are doing something wrong. And I have valued that. Um, immensely. So I, I don't know, well, you know, what is the one thing somebody could learn from? I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, I'll turn the question maybe like this. If you could go back to when you were starting and give yourself advice, like one piece of advice that you would give yourself knowing what you know now, like what advice mm-hmm. would you give yourself? Uh, I mean, well, one, I mean, one, I guess maybe to go back to your first question, we did pick the wrong curriculum for one of our core content areas. Mm. That was a, a first mistake that was made, you know, based on, um, I mean, it was an educated, it was an educated decision, but it, it turned out not to be the right one. And, um, again, fortunately we work with a very forgiving community and we were, we're still sort of undoing that and putting the right resources and materials in place. Um, so I think, but again, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I, you know, now I have the benefit of hindsight and that's, and that's wonderful. So I'm glad that I, I work in a, in a place that allows mistakes and we're learning um, and growing from those mistakes is, is prized over anything else. Sure. So now how do you measure success? So, I mean, there's a sort of specific example that you just brought up of, you know, you, were, you chose one curriculum and, and then you realized it wasn't working. Like, what are the types of things that you're doing to assess whether or not what you're doing is working, either in the kind of micro sense of, of this curriculum versus that curriculum or the, the sort of macro sense of the entire endeavor? I mean, I think we look at success across a couple of different indicators. I mean, academic achievement is one that's important to us for sure. So we do take the New York State tests, which I know is is unusual for um, for Catholic schools. Thankfully, there was a long history in New York, though. New York 
Catholic, New York State Catholic schools have been taking, you know, New York State Regents and New York State tests for a long time. So we do want to make sure that we're benchmarking our own academic achievement against the best public schools, the best private schools, and the best charter schools in the state and in the city. So academic achievement is one measure of success. Enrollment is another. I mean, we do believe in parent choice, and we do believe that parents have the power, can and should have the power to vote with their feet. We wish that parents in New York had even more power than they do right now. Um, but we look at enrollment as a really important metric of, of success. We also look at high school placement. So our schools are pre-K to eighth grade, and we know that by the time our students graduate in eighth grade, they are not fully formed yet. There's still a whole lot more growth and development that will come later. So we know that what uh, we do in the you know nine or 10 years that they're with us has to be matched by equally um, values-driven and academically excellent high schools. So we look at high school placement as a really important uh, metric of success as well. And then we actually, you know, look at some indicators about Catholic identity, faith formation, and values, which obviously is central to, to our work. Um, and we have some rubrics and some metrics that help us drive our conversations and thinking in that area as well. That's fascinating. That that piques the interest of the research in me, researcher in me. But I won't uh, belabor that on the podcast for all the listeners. You you were just avoided me talking about exactly how one would measure those constructs, which I think is fascinating. I may have to follow well, up. I with would you love about your that feedback, guys. So we can talk <laughs> offline. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So so now you know it's, you bring up that you take the state tests, and there are. I'd be interested to to know sort of your connection to the broader kind of policy world in the state or in the city, are there two or three policies or are there policies that sort of get in your way that make your life more difficult that the folks that are listening to this podcast who are more on the policy side, you know, that if if they want to have an organization like yours thriving in their community, these are policies that need to change? Yes. Well, I mean, for one, we don't. You don't have, have to limit it to two to or three. Or, yeah, I can't. Yeah, how much time you got? No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, um, so we don't have access to tax credits or vouchers in New York, which is something. I mean, I I believe in empowering parents with the right to choose whatever school is right for for their their children, including faith-based schools like ours. So that is absolutely a policy that I think can and should change in New York. Um, obviously, our policy in New York along those lines is more complicated because we are a Blaine Amendment state, um, but that is something we'd absolutely like to see change. In addition, there's, there's lots of other policies related to um, Title I services and Title II services and how, that, how the services, the compensatory education services get filtered through to our schools. Um, it's actually a, a, a pretty complex world and it varies wildly from, from state to state or jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And so the way our services come to us is, is more complicated than I've seen in some other places. And I'd love to see that really get smoothed over, understand why the federal government doesn't send dollars directly to um, faith-based schools. But I think there are ways to really clear the path so that you know, the disadvantaged students we serve get clearer and swifter access to the services to which they are entitled. Um, the other thing, which is a little known fact about our network, is that our, our schools are unionized. Um, and it hasn't been a major barrier. Our, our union um, is you know, supportive of things like tax credits and choice, as you would expect them to be. Um, but obviously, that, that, does, that does put in place some constraints that, that can be challenging and that can be difficult. So now, so that is a union of private school or of specifically Catholic school teachers? Are they affiliated with like the AFT or the NEA or the UFT or 
an umbrella they organization? It used to be, yes. So it was, it's the Federation of Catholic Teachers, and it used to be affiliated with the UFT. My understanding, um, and I would just fact check this, but my understanding is that they broke the affiliation over the UFT's stance on, um, on private school choice, which makes sense. Interesting. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. So, uh, are there other organizations like yours around the country that you know of? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, there and we're all a little bit different in some um, in some meaningful ways. Um, but there's the, the Alliance for Catholic Education through Notre Dame, which I know you did. Um, what up? That has graduate, a, proud yeah, grad, yeah. right here, <laughs> Catholic school Homer. I'm putting my cards on the table. <laughs> um, so they have a uh, network of ACE academies, uh, which runs in a number of different states. In addition, there's the Independence Mission Schools in Philadelphia, which is a network of urban Catholic schools as well. There's the Camden Partnership Schools in, in New Jersey. There's a network, um, Seton in uh, Milwaukee. So there is a growing number of um, urban Catholic school networks who are coming together to figure out new and innovative ways to serve um, Catholic schools that have been struggling for the past several years. That's wonderful. I have to imagine, dear listeners, um, you may be hearing more about those in the future in this very uh, in this very podcast. Um, so I have one last question for you, um, and that is to sort of look to the future. What do you think the next year, five years, ten years holds for the partnership schools? Um, well, I mean, I hope a lot more learning, growth, and development on our part. Um, I hope that we are part of a catalyst, uh, a nationwide Catholic school renaissance. I, that was a term dubbed, I believe, by Andy Smarrick, um not too long ago, that there is so much energy right now going into, you know, rethinking how we can support urban Catholic schools to make sure they thrive for generations to come. That is very much a part of the reason that I came to the partnership several years ago. Um, And it's, I hope that we continue to be kind of a torchbearer and a catalyst for that conversation nationwide. Wonderful. Kathleen Porter McGee, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the Cool Schools podcast today. Thank you for having me. So that was my conversation with Kathleen Porter-McGee. How much fun was that? Um, Forgive the perhaps perceived change in audio quality. Um, We recorded that at our awesome studio uh, at the EdChoice HQ in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, And I have since left Indianapolis, Indiana, and am recording this on my cell phone. So um, audio files, I apologize. But this thing travels with me wherever I go where I can do great outros like this one. Uh, Just as a reminder, if you're looking for more opportunities to read about the great stuff that EdChoice is doing, you can sign up for our email list. When you do that, you can customize a profile that will send you just the content that you're interested in. You can also just select all of the boxes and get everything that we put out because it's all awesome. Also, make sure to check out our social media feeds. Check out us at Twitter. That's at at EdChoice. Subscribe to this podcast. We would really appreciate it if you subscribe to this podcast. Um, and always, if you have ideas for cool schools that you think that I should profile, um, I am putting the feelers out. Would love to hear from you. Feel free to email me. You could tweet them at me uh, at MQ underscore McShane or send them to EdChoice at EdChoice. That will all get to me. Um, Thank you so much for spending this little half hour with us and celebrating the great work that Kathleen and her crew are doing. (laughs) 